Hello, this is international football commentator Derek Ray, and you're listening to the Ranks FC podcast. It's been a little while since I penned you an ode, but a World Cup completed calls for poetic mode. It's been a spectacular month of footballing drama, of narrative and story, of chaos and karma. But before we get on to the action on show, a word from what we said just four weeks ago that we wouldn't forget what this World Cup has cost, the morality questions, the lives that were lost, and to all those who suffer under stifling regimes, let it ring that football should always support your dreams. I've said it before, but there's never a bad time to say no freedom to we're equal and that's the bottom line. On field we've witnessed remarkable scenes from 32 of the world's best national teams. We started with shocks and the Saudis led the way beating Argentina on their opening day. Their unbeaten run shattered quick snap although they'd have their say and we'll get to that. Japan put Germany in the mud not long after and Hansi Flick's campaign turned into a disaster as the Samurai Blue then put Spain to the sword topping the group making everyone applaud but the greatest run of all everyone's favourite story was Morocco underdog surge of such glory left Belgium in their wake Spain and Portugal too as the Atlas Lions roared onwards and through semi-finalists backed by a relentless crowd a run to make Africa and the Arab world proud it all came down to two though when all was said and done a final of giants in the hot desert sun France Argentina Messi versus Mbappe only one PSG star could leave Qatar happy and what a show they put on a final to behold as two colossuses tussled for that trophy of gold. A hat-trick for the young gun wasn't quite enough and we learned this Argentina are made of sterner stuff. Spot kicks in the final 12 yards of turf, eight kick takers in the greatest show on earth. Dibu came up big once again from the spot as Argentina sliced through their mental Gordian knot. Champions of the world once again that they would sing and we got a crowning moment for football's beloved king, Lionel Messi, the greatest of all time, lifting that Jules Rimet trophy to the sky. The last piece of the puzzle a career without compare and a closing glory before passing it on to his heir. Tears flowed and nation rejoiced as one throughout the night. World Cup 2022. Albi Celeste Delight. Hello, Rank Squad, and welcome to Ranks FC. It's your World Cup wrap-up show. My name is Jack Collins and I'll be your host today. And I'm joined by the one and only Mr. Dean Jones. How you doing, mate? beautiful beautiful words mate loved it i'm very good thanks how are you yeah i'm good i'm good you know it's the day after the world cup it feels a bit day after the lord mayor's show doesn't it after are you wearing a scotland shirt um i know it's just a just it, a football shirt it, it looks like you're wearing a scotland shirt from here and I'm like, this is not the way to end a world cup jack no it's just a <laughs> just a football shirt but we're um i am in blue and white uh, to be fair i've been in blue and white for a, a fair amount of time yeah. over the last weekend but it's been a Remarkable tournament, Dean. Just, you know, a, a stunning footballing display, I think, across. And, and there have been calls that, you know, maybe this was one of the greatest World Cups we've ever witnessed. Yeah, it was. I mean, coming into it, I mean, I remember a lot of my friends saying they weren't excited about it. And I was like, well, you should be. You should be because the players we've got going into this tournament, some of the team setups we've got, some of the games we definitely know that we're in for, given that the groups, the way they're lining up, this is going to be brilliant. And yes, it's weird because it's at Christmas time. 
it's cold outside. Um, there are serious human rights problems going on around this tournament. That is all absolutely like we can have that discussion. But let's talk about football. You all should be excited because this is going to be amazing. And it probably exceeded expectations, really. And certainly everyone I know was watching it throughout. Um, yeah, I mean, apart from missing a few of those early 10 a.m. games, I don't think uh, I missed any. Don't can't think of any. Certainly not missed some knockout stage. Um, I certainly know you didn't, but I think that that is just the general case, like around the world. Like if you were able to watch a game, you just ended up watching them because there was so much drama, uh, and it it couldn't have ended any better. It really couldn't. Like Qatar have had it off. They've absolutely had it off. They they cannot believe that it's gone this. Well, it's gone so well. They'll probably have the World Cup again in about 12 years because it was so, people are just going to want this again. Like from a footballing perspective, it's unbeatable. I think this is it. And, and there are questions. And, you know, obviously when you have World Cups, there's a lot of talk usually about the amount of travel that teams have to do, right? That wasn't a factor in this World Cup. And, and there's also the kind of element of a Winter World Cup has thrown up loads of its own problems. And, and I'm not saying this is right or wrong. I'm just, you know, observationally, I think it's worth, kind of I, the idea, discussing the idea that players have come into this. Yes, obviously, we've had some major injuries, which have, have been really upsetting to, to see players ruled out. But also the players that have come into it who have, you know, started the season well, were able maybe to carry that form into the tournament a little bit more because there's no breather between that. They've, they've come in kind of in club mode in, OK, we're completely ready rather than at the end of a season. And there's maybe something to be said for that. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's very weird. I mean, we've got like Carabao Cup this week and Liverpool playing Man City. I mean, it's, it's an absolute, it seems farcical, really. We're halfway through a season here. Um, come on, lads, get back, get back into shape. Here we go. Never mind what you've been up to over there. But yeah, I think it probably is part of the reason that we saw a rise in, in levels in some sense was because everyone was in proper game mode already. There was no, you know, end of season um niggles there was no tiredness I mean there was tiredness in the end just look at Rafael Varane but that's because he put his heart and soul into absolutely every minute for France throughout the World Cup but um, yeah I think there's a lot to be said for that I don't ever want to see it again um, it's fine as a, as a one-off I can accept it and you know not everything's gonna be the way we we know it for the rest of our lives and things will change um, but you adapt to it and that's part of football now football's changing year on year on year and it's becoming a game that really we don't recognize from when we all first started watching it years back but um, you've got to adapt and you've got to grow and you've got to go with it because otherwise it just leaves you behind and um, the world's changing it is a world cup and Qatar is in the world and we've now given people an opportunity to have a slice of of the of this greatest football tournament you'll ever watch that they would never have had the opportunity to watch it and the nations that were filling the stadiums typically not the nations that would normally fill all the stadiums and some of the yeah. countries that would have been there couldn't get there as much and like yeah it's frustrating for them but that's part of it I'm afraid like you can't always be exactly where you want to be so I think that that did actually even things out a little bit at times what I really want to see is a North African World Cup now that's all I'm that's all I'm really after after seeing you know the Tunisia fans the Morocco fans I would like to see a North African World Cup in in, in the next sort of 10 20 yeah, well, years hopefully this has given it a better chance of happening as long as they can prove the organizational uh, side of things I'm sure like they'll have a they'll have a good chance of, of doing it because you know Qatar for all of the the faults that there, there have been like they have pulled off 
a perfect tournament in terms of like actually letting it run and like the stadiums and stuff. You know, there was certainly gaps in the stands at some points and people's I think uh, people forget that that's not that uncommon that's uncommon yeah that's the thing like obviously there, there are places in the world and I imagine we'll have these conversations again in four years time where where stadiums will be filled to capacity for every single game but I don't think that that's the kind of thing you see at every single tournament and, and that's a shame I'm not suggesting that that's a good thing but I don't think it's I, I think it was maybe highlighted more than perhaps it has been in, in, yeah. in other places <laughs> but also you know we, we talk about a winter world cup it's high as summer in the Southern Hemisphere. You know, well, and, yeah, and exactly. I did, because I did make this point. Winter, exactly. Like, yeah, yeah, you yeah. know, the fact is you, you saw the scenes in, in Buenos Aires and, and the rest, but those scenes are middle of summer. Everyone out on the streets enjoying, you know, the, the, the victory celebrations. In the high summer. And I think, I think that's an incredible thing. You know, we saw similar scenes. Obviously, the time difference in Australia wasn't great in terms of the games happening in the middle of the night. But... You'd imagine similar things if, you know, we're seeing a World Cup in, in Australia and New Zealand. We've got a World Cup in Australia and New Zealand next summer. Obviously, the Women's World Cup takes place next summer there. And it's going to be interesting to see those kind of differing time zones affecting the rest of the world in the way that the Australian people have, I'm sure, had to get up for at three in the morning. This tournament, sure, but, you know, at late night games in other tournaments as well. And I think all of those things play a factor. And I, I think it's important to remember that the world is a, a large and diverse place and, and we should be trying to encourage football in pretty much every single aspect of that yeah. world. And I think we've seen some some differences than perhaps the traditional World Cup would say. But I think off the back of that, and, and look, we'll talk at the end about what it means for you know the next World Cup, which will be 48 teams, and whether there is a, a, a kind of move away from European dominance and, and what it all means in the grander scheme of things. But I, I think, you know, when you're, when you're looking at it, you have to try and consider it from, from all these different angles. And, and there have been plenty of different angles to look at uh, across this World Cup. I think we should talk about the final before we go on to kind of our complete review. We obviously recorded a, a po podcast on Patreon yesterday, straight after the final. It was quite an emotional podcast. There was a, a lot going on in it. Um, I was I, I was very emotional across that the course of yesterday. Yeah, absolutely. 100% bawling my eyes out for, for the majority of yesterday. And that was during the game, never mind after it. Um, so, yeah, exactly. So, so we get into this, but it was maybe the final to end all finals. And there have been people saying that it's the greatest game of football they've ever seen. I think that there's a case to be made. Mm. Yeah, I mean, like you said on Patreon, it wasn't until the 70th minute. Like, certainly, like, it was it was a good game. And if you're Argentinian, it, it was going perfectly. Um, but basically, Otto Mendy is to thank for gifting us <laughs> the greatest game we've ever seen because that unnecessary foul has literally changed the dynamic of the game and given us something that... I didn't know we were worthy of. Like I didn't know football could be this topsy-turvy, this harrowing at this level. It shouldn't be. It should be much more controlled. It's like these players should be too good to allow a game like this to unfold. But there was too much emotion on the line. There was too much at stake. And then Argentina couldn't bear let Messi not have his moment, but France couldn't let him have it. They couldn't let grip of that trophy. And that's when the battle commenced. Once it went to 2-1, once Otamendi had messed up and Mbappe had said, thank you very much, we'll take it from here. And then he smashes home that equaliser, one of the best World Cup final goals you'll see. Um, it changes everything. And like, oh my God, I can still feel it. The feeling, I, I 
didn't even care particularly who won the game, but there was a feeling I got in my gut when that goal went in, just thinking, oh my God, I felt for every Argentina, like they'd just been punched in the stomach and said, take that. He's not getting the trophy that easily because that's how it felt. It felt like Messi was walking his way to the World Cup after all this time, this long journey. He was just going to meander up there and pick up the trophy and, and wander off. But he had to work for it, didn't he? And that's what made it all the more special. I'm sure, actually, while he looks back on his career, maybe already he's thinking this, but like it was perfect that it had to come around with such drama and anguish. Yeah, 100%. And we talked about this yesterday, but there is still this thing that I, I kind of have in my mind, which is you watch a film sometimes and the main character doesn't go through any trauma or it doesn't go through any oh, yeah. any sort of negative emotion. You get to the end of it. I actually was about this about like the greatest showman. I don't think the actual trauma in the middle of it is particularly strong enough to make you be like, oh, I need to dive back into this. Mm. And actually it's probably a fitting comparison talking about showman in this final, but it did almost feel too easy. It was like, they can't win it like this. Argentina is a nation with such, you know, a rich history, a rich footballing history, but a, a rich cultural history as well, um, which is which is based in, you know, overcoming odds, overcoming obstacles. And, and we've seen this happen in, in various manners down the years, especially on the football pitch. Um, and, and, you know, that kind of the game, obviously, that the Maradona hand of God game is, is the one that's always referenced in that. There's one goal which is obviously shouldn't stand and the other goal is maybe the greatest goal that's ever been scored on a football pitch. And that's the kind of duality of Argentina in so many ways. You know, one of yeah. the goals is is a, is a little bit naughty and the other one is absolutely like order-finding. It's, it's those yeah. kind of moments and and that kind of two sides of the coin that make this special. And, and, and actually, that's what we got in the end. And I'm completely with you. I think if it had ended 2-0 and France hadn't ever got going, it would have felt a bit like, oh... Where was the, you know, where was the flip? Where was the turn? You can't pull off a magic trick if you don't get the moment where you think that something's going to change. You don't get the the third act of the play. And I think Sid Lowe wrote in The Guardian today, it felt like Argentina had to win it three times. And actually, genuinely, I think that's quite a nice moment. You know, it felt like they'd won it. It was taken away from them. It felt like they won it again in extra time. It's taken away from them. And then they win it on penalties. And all of that wrapped in together, the emotion and the chaos of it all, I think turned this into one of the greatest games of football that I've ever watched. Yeah, undoubtedly. I mean, it, it was exactly that. Um, it's it's funny, like, because you come into it and you're like, well, this isn't a proper World Cup. This is, this is not what it's about. And you're, right, that, you're like, that's a proper World Cup. That's a proper final. So, like, again, like, on the football front, it really couldn't have been... Uh, any better and like to to end it like this um and for Messi to take it in his stride and just not let it all get to him at all which was so impressive in itself and even like the the third goal to fall to him for him to be the guy that's there following it up and to to push it over the line and then score his penalty it's it's just all so impressive and on the flip you've got this Mbappe monster the guy that's about to eat up football him and Holland are here but Holland's at Norway so he can't do a lot about this he might be able to in the next World Cup we'll, we'll get to that later because he might actually make it to the next World Cup you never know but in terms of being a monster a football monster like a Messi 
Mbappe is gonna do it, right? This is we are seeing the beginnings here, and I say the beginnings, even though this is already his second yeah, World what, Cup. And we're all five, six years into the story. <laughs> we're still we're still at the beginning of it, which is the terrifying thing. We've got another Was ten he, years. He's equaled Pele's record. He's twenty three. Yeah, we've got another <laughs> like, ten years of him at least at uh, uh, this sort of level. Hopefully, you know, I hope he if he can stay clear of of injuries. And look, I wasn't. Annoyed at Mbappe when they 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 uh, homed in on him after Kane's penalty miss and he's laughing, um, but that's that's just because you take things personally in that moment. And I was like, I don't want France to win this. And actually, as it turned out, I didn't want France to win it. Start of that game yesterday, I thought, I don't care who wins. Like, yeah, it's a good story if Messi does, but I don't actually care. I just want it to be a good game. I tell you what, halfway through that game, I was like, France better not win this game because they do <laughs> not deserve it. And as it went on and on, I was like, they got to 2-1. I was like, no, no, no. Because although it was like turning and turning, if they'd have ended up winning that game, it was unjust. It was unjust. It was it would be deserved in a different way. In a yeah, way, I mean, to, like, to overcome a two-goal deficit with 20 minutes left in a, in a final would have been a stunning, yeah. stunning tale in its own right, right? And to have got through the tournament with pretty much that mentality too, because there was never a game where I watched the entire thing and was like, this is fascinating. I can't believe how they're evolving football here. There was none of that really. Like there was moments of it and Mbappe provided most of them and Griezmann too, um, you know, played his role. But yeah, ultimately it would have just felt wrong. If, if France had actually won that game. So I'm glad it came to the ending that it did. And when you see back in Argentina, the scenes that unfolded, the people in the streets, the flags that are hanging from monuments, from buildings, when you hear people talking about the fact that like we don't have much to gloat about here, we don't have much to be happy about here, but we've got a football team with proud of and that they give us something to fight for and live for and they start talking in these terms and you're like wow like this is what it's about this is what the world cup is about it is about giving people a moment in their lives that they that they cherish and they cling on to and they re- remember and f- with fondness for years and that brings them together um and for that I'm, I'm just so happy that it happened like this yeah, yeah, no, I, I agree, and I think you're absolutely right. And this is it. it, you know, it came to that that moment. And and for me, I think maybe the biggest thing that not goes unspoken because it's been talked about a little bit, but you know, Lionel Messi, I think, is widely considered as the greatest player, you know, of all time around the world, apart from in Argentina, <laughs> and and obviously in Brazil, but you know, and Portugal. But we, you, you, you know, generally, I think the kind of widespread consensus is that Lionel Messi is probably the greatest footballer to have ever played the game. Mm-hmm. And in Argentina, it's like, no, 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 Maradona. Like, Maradona's the greatest. He led us to, to World Cup triumph. And for me, that kind of moment of catharsis where you're going, ah, oh, in his homeland, the one place, you know, there's obviously these interviews with Messi as, as a kid being like, I want to play for Argentina and I want to win the World Cup. And that's kind of the, the, the outset moment. And then suddenly you're like, wow, he's done it. But also for him to be elevated into that pantheon of his nation's heart, you know, on equal standing with Maradona is amazing. I think it's beautiful to watch a player finally hit that moment where, you know, we got it a bit at the Copa America last year, sure. But to, to go and win the World Cup and put himself alongside Maradona in in his country's heart 
it is just yeah. this kind of secondary subplot that I thought was absolutely beautiful. And for him to, to do it in this kind of manner, in a manner that Maradona would have absolutely loved, right? The chaos of that game would have been like, this is madness. I'm enjoying this a lot from, from the heavens. Was it the last World Cup where he was sat there with a cigar and stuff? Was that, <laughs> yeah, yeah, was yeah. that, was that the World Cup? <laughs> so, and also for it to be the first one after Diego's death, obviously, important yeah. as well. So, so yeah, I thought that was a nice like secondary point and, and you know, we'll come, we'll come on to it, but it was, it, it was lovely but we should probably park our discussion of the final there and move on to wrapping up the rest of the world cup where we'll be starting with our team of the tournament and some other categories as well after the break don't go anywhere Welcome back to Ranks FC. We're talking the World Cup that was. We've just seen Argentina lift their third World Cup trophy. It's time for us to pick our team of the tournament. Dane, do you want to go first or do you want me to lead us off? No, you lead us off, mate. And then what I think I'll do, because you're such a voice of reason on this World Cup, I think you lead off with the team of the tournament, which should be bang on, and then I'll correct it afterwards um, or, or just suggest some... Some names for some ones alternatives. Like, yeah, some alternatives for spots that I feel deserve more competition. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, I've gone with Dominic Lavakovic in goal from Croatia. Oh, that's uh, wrong. So, th- <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So that's that's a shame. We'll start that one off. Um, yeah. I've actually gone for three Croatia players in my team of the tournament: uh, Juranovic and Gvardiol as well in this back line. Uh, I've put in Harry Suter because I really like him, frankly, uh, of Australia, <laughs> and I thought he had a monstrous tournament. Uh, Teo Hernandez at left back, where I think maybe the weakest spot in the entire team. I didn't think any left backs completely and utterly covered themselves in glory yeah. in this tournament uh, in midfield i've gone for sofian amrabat of morocco uh, enzo fernandez of argentina and antoine griezmann and the front three of messi alvarez and mbappe hmm, interesting interesting well in goal like I, I i did joke a little bit there about i do think that i would give it emmy martinez because of two key reasons one his performance in that shootout uh, which was Unbelievable. And then in the final, the save. the save, like that save was just defining. I mean, he's going to have that, that photo is going to be in his lounge without doubt, right? Like Kalimuanu. Look, people saying he shouldn't have hit it like that. He could, he could have taken it in a different way. He could have chipped it over him. He could have taken it past him. You're not, you're not chipping the keeper in the last minute of the tournament. Like, <laughs> you've so come on. You're, it's, it's like you're under your tent. I think it's like his fifth cap of runs. He is absolutely not going to try and chip the keeper in the 120th minute of, yeah. a, of a World Cup final. He's done everything right. He's kept it low. He's hit it hard. Yeah, it's just an absolutely outrageous save. He's spread himself so well, Martinez. It's just a brilliant save. So that, on top of the penalty saves, top of, he had a good tournament anyway, plus the way he celebrated getting the golden glove. Um, <laughs> I, I think Emmy Martinez deserves it. Yeah, okay, that's fine. That's fair enough. Um <laughs> Yeah, so in terms of who you've got in the defence, so just, just recap who you said again. Juranovic, uh, Radiol, Sutar and Teo Hernandez. Yeah, okay, so I had um, most of those. Teo Hernandez, I don't like either. I don't believe that he he was the best left. I can't believe that he was the best left back at this tournament. I can't think well, of I don't have an, I don't have an alternative. Estupinan, Ecuador. Like, yeah. I've seen a couple of people try to throw him into the mix. Yeah, but he I'm also like, went out in the group stages. He's, he's, like, he's he there very really. long, was he? And they yeah. didn't do very well. So it's hard to, it's hard to argue. But Taylor wasn't 
that consistently good in my eyes. Like Jordi Alba play- might be a shout. Jordi Alba did really well, but then they obviously got rocked out in the round of 16s. And I'd be like, and then obviously Morocco alternated left backs because Masraoui was carrying a bit of an injury. So he saw a lot of Atia Allah, who I thought was excellent, but I, I just don't think he played enough minutes to justify putting him in here. Yeah, and in terms of um, Harry Souter, like I, I, he did have a good tournament, but I don't think he would genuinely make the team of the tournament. I think you could include any Moroccan. Yeah, um, Roman Saiz is potentially unfortunate. Roman Saiz is out. probably the one I would I would choose. Um, if you're going to give Harry Souter that much respect, you should give Harry Maguire similar respect because <laughs> he had a, a redeeming tournament. Um, and if you want to pick a performance that can put you back into the mix, then Upa Meccano for what he produced for France. Against I thought he was just really... very good to get apart from in the game against England. It was, it was one of those, you know, generally this throughout the, the thing, tournament, yeah. I think he's been excellent. He just had an absolute shocker in one of the games. And therefore, you know, the next game, obviously he missed out on because he had a virus. So, yeah, yeah, I think to bounce back from like having a shocker against England, missing the next game, but then playing like that. Rafa Ram probably has a, has a, has a point to, yeah, to as say as here, but, good, but so yeah. should Otamendi, who I thought, thought was excellent throughout the It's a this really tournament. hard choice in the defence, I think. Yeah. Um, but midfield, I, th- I think you've probably got it spot on. I think Amrabat, Enzo Fernandez, and, and Griezmann it is hard to argue. I think you might be able to throw McAllister into the mix, but he probably doesn't nudge any of those three out of there. Yeah, so. I sort of seen some people put some put Bellingham in, who obviously had a very very good tournament. But I, yeah, I don't think you can. I don't think you enough. can shift Enzo Fernandez no. in there really. So no, I, I think he just he's won, won the World Cup. Saying. Like yeah, this is the thing. Like if England had made it to the final, then you're sure Bellingham probably would have figured here, but he didn't. They were gone in the quarters and. You know, that that was that. So the front three takes care of itself, doesn't it? I mean, well, I'm sure you could probably argue for Olivier Giroud instead of Alvarez, um, but considering you got pulled up before half-time get pulled in the final, before yeah. half-time it's not a great final. finish, is God, it? isn't it? I mean, it did well. Like, that's why, you know, I always believe in Olivier Giroud. And that's why I backed him to be uh, the golden boot winner. But, um, you know, he got four goals in the end in the tournament. It's half the amount that Mbappe ends up getting. Um Messi gets seven. Was Alvarez end on four or five? Four, yeah. Um, but Alvarez, you know, he's he's so young. He's he's got so much to come. Um, excited to see him now back in the Premier League because he won't be willing to rest and and just settle back on the bench now. He'll he'll want more and more minutes, I imagine. So it'll be interesting to see how Pep handles that straight away because he's he he already knew he had a gem. You've talked about Alvarez for a long time on this podcast and, and what he's going to be. And and now we're all seeing it um, because of, of this platform that he's given himself. Yeah, so um, yeah, I think that's a, that's a really good team. Good. Excellent. Well, we, we worked our way through it. If centre, who thought the centre-back would be the hardest position to pick in your team of the tournament? But and Harry Souter would get the nod. Harry Souter still getting the nod. <laughs> what a man, what a man. Um, Stoke City with an absolute gem there let's move on to well let's do our golden ball ranking then and we'll come back back round for best moments and biggest shocks afterwards in 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 part three perhaps but i i i have it down as amrabat in three and bappe in two and messi in one and i I don't know if there's much argument to be had there no um tough because it's annoying because I, mean, I thought Antoine Griezmann was pretty much nailed on and then again you know just kind of went a little bit missing in, in the yeah, final the final defines defines these things doesn't it so he wasn't going to be in the running in the end just didn't quite do enough had a brilliant tournament no doubt I mean Enzo Fernandez obviously got the young player award um had as good a tournament as Sofia Amrabat no doubt about it um probably better but 
ultimately Amrabat was superb, like absolutely superb. Um, I couldn't believe like that Morocco managed to get a team out for the third, fourth playoff, um, as strong as they did, particularly. Um, so we'll, we'll see how that ends up. I mean, Amrabat now on the radar of a lot of big clubs uh, on the back of the levels he was able to lift himself to. Yeah, he already that plays for a big to. club, what are you on about? Yeah, yeah, he plays for a reasonably big club. Now he's going to go to a really big club from Fiorentina. It's, um, it's, a, it's a tradition now for the Amrabat family to turn up and absolutely nail a World Cup because his brother, Nordin, was absolutely sensational at the last World Cup, if you remember. Yeah, I do remember. That was a good point. That was a good point. Um, but yeah, and Bappe and, and Messi... <sighs> Yeah, I mean, you've obviously got to give it to Messi in the end. But if we... Did Mbappe have a better tournament than Messi? I don't think... I don't think in terms of... I thought, obviously, Mbappe is one of those moments players. And Messi is as well, to a point, obviously, at this point in his career. But there were games, you know, and and the final is such a good example of this, I think, where you're looking at killing Mbappe and you're going, for the first seven minutes, like, what are you doing? And then suddenly you're like, oh, he's got a hat trick. That's mm. that's just come out of nowhere, and I think we saw that generally, kind of, you know, in various ways throughout the tournament. I think in the Poland game, you know, it was one of those where he's obviously scored two absolutely sensational goals and didn't do much else. And you're like, oh, you know, he's just, he's, you know, he's come on and made things happen. And he had a couple of moments in the England game, but weren't the ones that defined the way that the game played mm. out in, in many ways. I, I think Lionel Messi's had a tournament in which he's showcased different elements of his ability in each game you know obviously the the ability you, you look through Argentina's fixtures and you go right okay obviously the first one was was a bad game uh, you get to the Mexico game and that ability to, to make things happen to spark everyone into life with you know a piece of magic from outside the box I think in the Poland game he completely and utterly controlled it in the way that he, he moved around and dropped a bit deeper and and played those passes in obviously the you know a wonderful assist and you go on to you know the rest of the tournament. You, you get the the game against Australia where he scores the opener, and there's that bit of fire after that flare up with with Bayic on the sideline, and he suddenly mm. takes it onto his own hands and goes, "No, no, I'm not having that. It's absolutely not happening." Uh, you move into the the quarterfinal against the Netherlands, and not only obviously does he he produce the moments of magic, but also I think stepped up and led his team emotionally when they really needed it. And I think you could say similar for the for the game against France. Um, and, and in the Croatia game, he, you know, that ability to just absolutely twist defenders in knots was showcased in in those moments against Guardiol, yeah. who's just made our team of the tournament. Yeah. So I think that's why for me, I think generally you look at this tournament and go, this has been his tournament, not just for winning it, but actually just the way he performed throughout was pretty remarkable. But I, I do, I'm with you in that, obviously, there's a, a major contender in Kylian Mbappe who's gone and won the golden boot. So if France had won this tournament, would we be flipping these over? The answer is probably yes. There is a little bit of outcome. Bias yeah. I mean, if you score a world cup in a hat trick in the world cup final, and you've already got five goals under your belt before that point, like it's hard to imagine that not being the case that you would get the player, the player of the tournament too. Um, it, it'll be intriguing really to see what, what happens to, to Mbappe over the, the course of, I mean, how many more World Cups would he have in him? Three, probably, uh, potentially. Um, what at least kind two, of footballer? At least two. Are we looking at someone here that ends ends up more like a, a Messi, or is he going to be more of a Ronaldo? I honestly don't know because he's got both sides to him, hasn't he? He's got the beauty of like the Messi glide, and he can he has these moments that ability to slow a player down and then and then speed the play up again is yeah. is, is, is so a that, vintage that, that technical trait. Messi. 
that technical trait is of Mbappe is, is comparable to Messi's, yet he's got the ego and the, um, I guess, nastiness. Self, self-belief, might be the wrong one. Yeah, he's got, he's got something about, of Ronaldo about him too. Maybe that's why he's already considered like the best player in the world to buy some at this point, because he has got the blend. But it'll be interesting to see which of those traits ends up becoming defining for him. Because I'm not sure. And I think it's quite a dangerous step potentially in, in how it gets managed. Because he's got he's gonna have a big transfer on his hands at some point. He's gonna go somewhere. And we've seen the stories that come out of PSG about he wants to pick the team, he wants to decide who's coming in. You know, over time, we'll find out how much of that is true to his character, how much of that is what he's like. And if that's what the stories you're hearing at 23, by the time he gets to be 35, like Messi, what's his career been like? How did it actually play out? That's what that's what I'm fascinated by in the career of Mbappe. It's already it's already been unbelievable, to be honest. He could retire tomorrow and that could be that could be fine yeah but there's so many more chapters to come and i think some of them will be beautiful but i also think some of them will be ugly and it'll be really interesting to see how he's looked back on one day yeah yeah i completely agree completely agree um there's obviously a load of players who shone uh, some of them we've already mentioned um but I, I think there's a couple that maybe we we could talk about here someone who's incredibly unlucky i think not to make the team of the tournament was Azadi Nunahi, Morocco's number eight, who was absolutely exceptional. And I think it might be worth just talking about some of these players in terms of what comes next for them. Azadi Nunahi obviously plays for Angers in France, who are sort of mid to lower in the league table in Liga. I had a good season last year, started really well and, and, and dropped off, but, uh, you know, not a big club and, and, and Liga has got its own financial difficulties that we've seen in this kind of post-COVID world. Um, obviously, there's Alexis McAllister, who play, plays for Brighton, who's going to be in incredibly high demand, you'd imagine. I think Josip Juranovic, who plays for Celtic. Dominic Novakovic, who plays back home in Croatia. And then there's the likes of Cody Hakpo, Frankie de Jong, who had an absolutely sensational tournament and, and is still in this sort of weird limbo at, at Barcelona. The likes of Mahama Kadus, who was linked with a transfer in the summer from Ajax, who I thought was excellent, pretty much all of Ghana's games. Uh, Isa Laiduni, who plays for Varenc Varos in, uh, in Hungary. There's lots of players here who've made a, a bit of a case. But I think Unahi, McAllister, Juranovic, Lovakovic and Hakpo, perhaps, could be very interesting to see what their next steps involve. Yeah, I mean, Unahi um, being linked pretty closely with Leicester is the main one. Um, it seems like Angers are pretty intent on trying to keep him for this season. And they, they'll, you would be after strike, that performance. Yeah, <laughs> they'll strike a deal now, but they're like, come on, give us some of this. Um, I've never seen him play for Angers. I don't know if he does do this week in, week out. But, um, you know, I think it would make sense for a club anyway to to give him that time to get his head around what he's just managed to accept the fact he's got a big transfer on his hands and then spend a few months continuing his form at Angers. I think that that'd probably be fine. Uh, Leicester seemed to be the first club really that were were linked with this. Um, it'll be interesting to see whether there are bigger clubs that get on their tails. Obviously, you hear Jose Mourinho talking about him um, in unbelievable terms, really talking about him, one of the best midfielders at the tournament, or whatever he said. Um, He's right. Leeds, yeah, he is. Yeah, of course. But um, when he's Mourinho going to be trying to it, sign him for Portugal next, yeah, that's, where, he's, that's where he's going. 
Um, <laughs> and then you get like leads are linked with him. I'm, I'm just not conv- like if you were a Nahi, you're like I don't even know what you are at the moment. I don't know what league you're going to be in in a year. I can't, I can't sign for you. And then you're in the you championship. Probably argue the same for Leicester, really. Possibly, possibly. I mean, it depends. I guess it will. They could spell out under Brendan Rodgers and stuff. At least he's got a bit more of a legacy there and they can spell things out and show him a, a Premier League uh, trophy in the cabinet and stuff. But I would imagine there are going to be some other clubs coming to be involved in that one. Um, Juranovic, again, being linked with quite a few clubs. I mean, he's obviously at Celtic and um, they're signing a new right back. Although so, I, I'm not sure if they that Celtic completely see Johnston, who, who was actually a very good tournament himself for Canada. Um, he was announced as a new Celtic player pretty much the day after Canada were knocked out of the tournament. Yeah, uh, I don't know if they see him as a right back or as a, as a centre back, because I think that there is kind of form for a player of his kind of profile moving into a, a, a back a back two or a centre back partnership because he's very good on the ball. Mm. Well, it's interesting. I mean, Juranovic was first being linked to join Man United and we're talking about a a five to ten million pound transfer is being talked about. It's now twenty five. It's now twenty five though. That I just you're think it's one of those that Celtic just I don't absolutely think it's wouldn't have them. sold him for, for five yeah. to ten million. Like the like you know even pre tournament, he's been really crucial to the way that Andrew's team play. He, you know, his ability not only from from open play, he's also an incredible penalty specialist. Um he's actually scored a fair amount of goals for Celtic from the spot. And he's very good going forward, as we've seen. I don't think Celtic could be accepting an offer in, in that range because it it makes no sense. There's no way, way you can replace him for that amount of money. No, no, you're right. You, you can't, no. And, and, you, and if you are going to, then you sell him, then you obviously make the most of a moment like this and, and you hike up that price. Um, who else are we talking about? Livakovic. Um, I don't know too much about... Um, where he could end up, just just flicking through where he's been linked, anywhere from Bayern Munich to Leicester at the moment. So um, Leicester just gone on. Uh, Leicester going on a World Cup shop window spree. They're this trying is, to fix a lot of stuff, so it might not be a bad idea. <laughs> he's a he's a funny one, Lovakovic. Obviously, an incredible shot stopper um, and very very good penalty saver, and, and has got better with his feet over the time I've, I've watched him. And been keeping an eye on him for a while. He's one of those kind of football manager legend players because everybody signs him uh, from Dino mm-hmm. Zagreb because he's one of the few goalkeepers available on the market at a, a reasonable price. He is a little bit iffy when it comes to cr- claiming crosses. And so if you're going to go into a league where where that's a, a, a big part of the game, it's something that I think teams need to be relatively aware of. Yeah, as we say, brilliant shot stopper, incredible reflexes. I don't think anyone saved more shots than Lovakovic at the tournament. But I'd just be wary on that one that people are going, we've seen a very small sample size of him here. And look, mine, mine's not much bigger. I haven't seen them really aside from in European competitions, but it's just one to keep an eye on. Yeah, while we're on Bayern Munich goalkeepers, by the way, it's bearing my Manuel Neuer's out for the rest of the season after breaking his leg skiing. Mm. I'm pretty sure that as a footballer, the one thing you're not supposed to do is go skiing. Like, I'm pretty sure that that's like in your contracts, like... Yeah, I reckon Manuel Neuer writes his own buy-in contract, so he's probably just like, I like skiing, I'm going to allow that in my contract. I, uh, yeah, I mean, that is an embarrassing phone call he's had to make. Anyway, well, yeah, um, Nargles was going to be deeply unhappy. <laughs> I mean, uh, yeah, you can't even, when you're that famous, you can't even pretend you did it like falling down the stairs. Somebody's going to have a picture somewhere of you like on the slopes. Right, the last uh, two that you mentioned are Hakpo and, and Frankie de Jong. 
Um, look, Frankie's back in the headlines to, being talked about for Man United again. I mean, I'm as... I'm so bored of this story. <laughs> bewildered by it as everyone else. I mean, reading between the lines, I mean, I haven't been in full-on transfer mode, but I have been, you know, working on transfers for Give Me Sport throughout the World Cup still. So um, the people that are writing about the young are... are are Man United journalists, mainly, who were on the beat, who were basically saying United still have an interest in getting Frankie de Jong to Man United. And then the Manchester Evening News have reported that Frankie de Jong has told Eric Ten Hag that he would be interested in joining Man United. And I'm like, hold on. This doesn't make any sense. Because Frankie de Jong spent the whole of last summer saying he wasn't interested in that because he only wanted to play for Barcelona. And now he actually plays for Barcelona. He's back in the team. He regularly gets 90 minutes. I don't see in what world... I could believe Man United would still want to sign him. Fine. I just don't see how it's plausible right now. It doesn't make any sense to me. Mm. Anyway. Mm. If they're going to sign a Dutchman, I, I would put my money on the other. This is it. So Hakpo is the most likely to join Man United uh, in this January window. Um, I'm told that they're already like quite involved in this, trying to figure out uh, the ins and outs of it. I'd say probably expect them to try and get him for around £40 million. He's a player that they already had on their radar for some time. I think that one of the things actually that's really worked out for Eric Ten Hag um, and has impressed people at, at Man United is the fact that Hakpo was one of the first names he put on their radar when he when he was coming into the club. They were asking the sorts of players he would want in. He said Hakpo was one of them, and now they're like, okay, he's got he's got a good eye. Like a lot of people seem to be talking about him. You know your stuff. We've got a good manager here. So um, they didn't get him. Obviously, I don't think Hakpo was. Comp- completely deterred by Man United because the deal didn't happen and they ended up signing Anthony. There's still room to be made there at United because of Ronaldo's now gone. There's a spot in the squad and I think because Hakpo can play centrally or wide, he is a good fit and they will try to make that happen. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. I'm a big Cody Hakpo fan, as you know. I think he's a really, really good player. But I am wary that I still don't really see him as a centre-forward. You know, I still think his best games have come, domestically at the very least, from the left wing, which is a slightly interesting one considering, you know, the, the players that Manchester United have there and, and the fact that Marcus Rashford has done a lot of his, his best work from those kind of areas. So I, I am a little bit iffy about this one. I, I actually do wonder if Cody Hackburn needs another stepping stone club before he goes to a to a top Premier League club, but we'll we'll see. Maybe maybe he sees Man United as that club, so um, it could, yeah. could be one of those. But it, <laughs> it it's going to be interesting because I I just think that United are starting to sign you know uh, maybe a profile of player here who is very much not the centre forward that maybe people think he is after this World Cup. And then obviously he's played in a, in a front two here. It's it's a very different system to anything that United would be playing. I would just be wary a little bit of that transfer because I'm not completely and utterly convinced where he's going to fit in with the squad. So we'll see. But um, obviously a very talented player and the more talented players you have, usually the better. So I, I can, mm. can see why they're interested in, in, in that regard. Right then, after the break, we're going to be talking about our favourite moments and the biggest shocks in this World Cup in part three. Stick with us. 
Welcome back to Ranks FC, part three of our World Cup wrap-up show. And it's time to talk about some of our favourite moments in a couple of different categories, Dean. I've put in this headline as kind of best moments excluding the final, because obviously we talked about that a lot at the, at the top of the show. But I'm interested to, to what you make of these three. I've gone in order 3-2-1. At three, I've gone for... Vincent Abubakar's last-minute winner against Brazil. And then the fact that he took a shirt off, got sent off, and was basically laughing with the referee as it happened really, really, really did tickle me. And I think that his kind of tournament that he's had has been incredible. And, and in so many ways, obviously, he talks a massive game, Abubakar, constantly. And what he's done in this tournament is just backed it up. And you've got, you've got to respect a man who's like, no, no, I'm actually better than Salah. And he scored one of the goals of the tournament. And then he scored the winner, the first ever African nation to beat Brazil at a World Cup, Cameroon, in, in that final game. Yes, it was a changed Cameroon's uh, Brazil side, but uh, it's still an incredible achievement. And, and to have that kind of sweet moment as, as the captain who wasn't started by his manager in the first game of this tournament. He's someone who's come into this side, take the armband back and be like, oh, no, no, I'm still the main man. And I mm. just love the confidence he has. And then the fact that he backed it up on the pitch. He was like, he talked, he talked a massive game and then he walked the walk straight afterwards. And I was like, that is a man that I could get behind. Um, so, so yeah, I absolutely loved Abubakar's last minute winner against Brazil. Yeah. Um, I had that on my list, so that's fine. Good. At two, uh, I went for Gonzalo Ramos's hat-trick against yep, Switzerland. Because this is incredible, right? And, and it was all about the narrative that surrounded it. Yeah. I, I mean, it was obviously like... Well, on the back of it, it was like, well, Ronaldo's leaving Man United. We just signed this guy because Ronaldo's been left out by Portugal and this guy's bagged a hat-trick. Gonzalo Ramos, like, literally became a household global name overnight. It doesn't happen very often in in football anymore because people have usually got a very good awareness of you. Obviously, Ramos is a, a good player at Benfica, but he's not somebody that, you know, your average football fan, I don't think, would have really heard of much before before this moment. And it was... It was such a good hat-trick. It was a proper hat-trick and it was a huge moment that put him properly on the map. A shame, really, he didn't have much chance to gather momentum from it um, as Portugal couldn't like get into the latter stages that they would have hoped for. Um, but there's no doubt like this guy will go on to huge things and always, always be brought back to this moment as this, this, the the catalyst, if you like. It probably isn't. I'm sure that he's had a lot of other moments in his career yeah, that led to this he scored one. A, he scored a Champions League hat-trick. This, this man <laughs> is, no, is nothing to be trifled with. And Benfica are absolutely storming the Primeira. And he is literally the vocal boy. He's been very, very <laughs> impressive this season. We can forget all this, though, because we all saw him score a World Cup hat-trick against Switzerland. And that's what put him on the map. Well, it was it was it was an incredible moment, an incredible story, and and the fact that his manager backed that and got the rewards he did in in that manner, uh, it was a, a real moment of clarity, I think, for 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 a lot of people, and be like, wow, the next generation have arrived, and the old guard, in some ways, are starting to move on. Father Time remains, in some ways, undefeated. So that was in it too. At number one, I went for Akraf Hakimi's winning penalty against Spain. Um, now, obviously, this whole game was, was incredible and, and the way that Morocco saw off this Spanish attack was was tactically wonderful. I really enjoyed this. Probably the, my favourite nil-nil that I've watched in a long, long time. You know, the way that it, it all played out. 
But Hakimi dropping the coolest Penenka of all time, barely t- barely leaves the floor, and then doing the Sergio Ramos celebration to, yeah. to the Spain bench was just like unbelievable levels of narrative. Yeah, it was. Yeah, yeah. And then, yeah, the celebrations that, that followed it too, like everything about it was was just top class. We all, I think, have, have seen enough of Hakimi by now. He's certainly more of a, a name in the game than Gonzalo Ramos at, at this point. And, um, but I didn't know he was capable of this. I didn't know it was this cool. And now I do. Like that was a big moment. Um, I didn't have it at number one though. What did you go for? What was your favourite moment? When Harry Kane made it 1-1 against France. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you might. I wanted to give you the opportunity to bring this up. Well, so I I gave, just... that was the most hope I'd had all tournament because like nothing particularly great had happened to, up, up to that moment for England. And oh, yeah, <laughs> this is a bit tongue-in-cheek, obviously, as the best moment of the tournament. But England went behind against France in the quarterfinal. And we started playing differently and we started to... Yeah, start to impose ourselves on the on France and on the tournament in that in that moment. And you know, when Kane stepped up ten minutes into the second half, scores his penalty, past Hugo Lloris, it's England one, France one, and with a looking like the better team. And you're thinking, I just remember that feeling that you get, like when a big goal is scored for your club or your country, like it's just an unbelievable feeling. You've got this hope, this hope, and that's all you can hope for. And especially in international tournament, you just want that hope and that belief to be there. And it was there in that moment because he actually buried it. You know, okay, he didn't miss the pen. It didn't miss. Like, I can't believe it. We, we're in this game and we're looking good and we've got game changers on the, off the bench. We can do this. It didn't happen, but um, it was for, I don't know, what minute did Giroud score? 78. So from 54 to 78, the great yeah, little 20 24 minutes really good minutes. Uh, yeah, it was it was a great little time. I was having uh, a few of my mates in a little bar. Um, it was, we, were, we were having a lovely time imagining what, what might be happening. Where should we watch? Where, where should we watch the semi-final Wednesday? Well, for the final, should we go to someone's house or should we go to like... <laughs> <laughs> but that's what it's all about, right? You want to dream and you want to hope. And, and when Harry Kane scored that goal it kind of gave me that feeling. And I was, I was thinking, I was like, well, let's think, let's fl- flip it to, to the US because like... I was going to say, Haji Wright's goal of the century. Is it Haji Wright or is it Timothy Ware against the Wales? The, the goal that, that gives them... That was their first game, Well, I mean, it? it might be the Pulisic goal against, against Iran because obviously that's the one that actually sends... The US yes, through. Like whichever one it but was. But I do think I, I do think Haji Wright scoring the weirdest goal of all time. It was a very and, weird goal, and, and it, it did was give great. him hope for a few minutes too. Yeah, um, that was that was less time, but I, I did in, I did enjoy those moments. But they were that's that's three quite big moments, you know, to have a, a World Cup, and um, and I think for the US, like it, it was important that they they had moments and feelings to come away from this tournament feeling good about themselves and knowing that they're in a good spot with such a young squad yeah knowing that they're hosting next time around and that like this is going to be a big opportunity they're gonna have a squad full of 27 28 year olds who hopefully have been on a good development path and continue to stay fit and inform um and that's all you can hope for and, and I, I just think like yeah whichever of those goals was your favorite as a u.s fan um just just keep hold of it and keep that memory and keep that feeling for when the next time arrives because these moments well they come across hopefully every four years but in the US case 
you can miss World Cup. So hopefully, I've been waiting a taste twenty years for Ireland to get back to a World Cup. So um, you know, you can't take these. Were you even for alive twenty years ago? So you've never seen Ireland. I was I was very young, um, yeah. but I was I was in primary school, and I remember everyone got to watch. It was obviously the the South Korea versus Japan tournament. So South Korea versus Japan. It's the tournament <laughs> held in South Korea and Japan. Match to decide who was going to host, gonna host it, and um, everyone obviously was in in primary school was wheeled out to the big hall for for the England games and uh, me and my friend Mikey were like no we want to, we want to watch the Ireland game as well so they had to put us in a little room and they just brought in the lit, like TVs were on wheels and you wheeled them in and it was like oh you can watch Ireland play, play in serious? the World Cup so yeah we got to got to watch it in a little music room with oh my. with a little TV like two two three of us who demanded oh, to be able to watch the Ireland game so yeah that was a that was a moment so I was alive but I mean yes I haven't been able to do it in any sort of capacity as an adult so you know fingers crossed 2026 here we come and um, we, we we shall see um right let's... surely you'll make it i don't know mate we'll get on to that though um it's uh let's finish with biggest shocks before we you know yeah. go wrap up our final thoughts um in here i've got morocco's run to the semi-finals at three now this might seem very low but i had morocco making the quarterfinals so i <laughs> i've only actually gone one better than i thought they would um and, and it was an incredible incredible moment and an incredible run from morocco that we, we've obviously talked about in in some depth but i just think that the whole thing felt like they were fueled by so much love and, and support within the stadium but also just the way that morocco was so fun at afcon at the start of last year have completely changed managers since then Regragi came in kind of reinstated hakim ziek he's wearing the captain's armband for the end of the the semi-final and the, and the third place playoff as well i'm like wow this is some redemption arc for Hakim Ziyech in the, in yeah. this squad. So there was loads about this Morocco run that I loved, but I have only put them at three in terms of biggest shocks because I did think they were going to do well in this World Cup and, and they have proved me right. So that's, that's nice. Um, right, yeah. at number two, I had Saudi Arabia beating Argentina on their opening day, which was just absolutely unbelievable. I, I think the most shocking thing about this was that Argentina should have been 3-0 up half time yeah. and they just somehow weren't. And then they got stunned and lost it. And look, we've, we've talked a little bit before about the fact that we think that Argentina losing the opening game might have banded this group together and actually meant they were playing knockout football far before anyone else yeah. and actually has probably fueled their eventual victory in this World Cup. But still, this result was absolutely like, shockwaves through the football world wasn't it it, it, it was it, it was, was catastrophic yeah. at the time for argentina i mean this saudi arabia didn't they have a national holiday on the back of this yeah, um, yeah and for argentina i mean from that point yeah they were one game away from going out of the tournament they've gone on to win it but after one game they're on the cusp of going out it was a disaster and yeah, they hadn't played that badly the first half. They had a couple of offside calls against them. I can remember the game so clearly watching it unfold. And I remember watching the first half and just thinking we were watching a three or four nil win. It was just going to be very routine. We were watching a three or four nil win. <laughs> <laughs> and it just changed in the in the second half. Saudi not only pulled the goals out of the bag, but then pulled together like quite literally as a unit and were like, we are not letting this moment go. We... We're going to do this and we're going to fight for this. And this we'll give it everything we've possibly got. And they got over the line. Absolutely remarkable story. And it looks all the better right now. 
Yeah, definitely. Um, and then at one, I've just got the entirety of what happened in Group E because it was like chaos. I mean, the actual title here is Germany not getting out of the group, right? But, you know, from yeah. the moment where Japan scored that second goal in, in the Germany game, you know, Asano with brilliant goal, but a very simple goal in so many ways. It was just like, Oh, right. And then Spain wins 7-0 on the opening day. And you're like, wow, Japan have a really good chance of getting through here. All they need to do is beat Costa Rica. And you're like, oh, right. They've, they've wrecked it. They've wrecked it. They've <laughs> lost to Costa Rica. Now, now they've gone from beating Germany to they need to win against Spain to qualify. And then they beat Spain. <laughs> it's like, yeah. and, you know, there's all this because, you know, the whole point when Costa Rica pulled it back against Germany and, you know, when they when they went ahead, you're like, what is going on in this group? Yeah. The entire, entire group, the group of death, which it looked like to begin with, was chaos, but in no way that we were expecting. It was just one of those things where you couldn't take your eyes off any of this for a second. And I absolutely yeah. loved the whole of Group B. Yeah, I mainly enjoyed Germany getting knocked out. I knew you were absolutely, say that. like that was um, that was definitely a highlight. And I'm glad it made number one. I tell you what, the, the one I'd throw into the mix is is the shock of Croatia managing to beat Brazil. Mm. Not the fact that I guess that they were very very unfancy to do that anyway, but when Neymar actually put Brazil 1-0 up in yeah. extra time... It, the game looked dead, you're right. That was it. Like, they were like, oh, they've finally got the breakthrough. Like, that's it. Neymar's managed to find that moment. They're through. And it wasn't the end. And Petkovic equalises with, like, three minutes left of extra time. And then, obviously, Croatia go on and, and win 4-2 on penalties. Neymar doesn't even get round to taking... The penalty because he goes fifth. Very interesting, wasn't it? That of course last night Messi and Mbappe both go first. Like well, I, this think, is a I lesson. think at this point you're like, wow, the narrative. The narrative is going to be so bad if I don't take first. So you're like, think, you just have to do it now. I think on the back of Neymar missing that, it's going to be a long time before like a a, a star player doesn't get round to taking his penalty again. I know he's not the first person yeah, yeah, to it do this. To Cristiano, but, didn't it at one point? Yeah, it did happen to Ronaldo. But I just feel like this moment was so high profile, such a shock that it scared people and when they're gonna to get to, to pens now they're gonna they are gonna make sure that like the best kickers are definitely taking one. Yeah. Um, clever kickers yeah. first as we as we always say on <laughs> yeah, ranks. Exactly. Um good. Well there we have it. There's pretty much all the World Cup ranked, if if you will. But let's just talk about some closing thoughts because this is the last thirty two team World Cup and what a way to go out. We mm. are gonna see some big changes when it comes around the, the 2026 World Cup in well in America, in Canada, and in Mexico. And, and not just in the fact that Qatar could fit into basically one state in, in America, and this is going to be a, a big, long, spread out tournament across time mm. zones and different things. So it's going to be interesting to see how that kind of works. But also, you know, with, with that in mind, it's going to be super interesting to, to see how this 48-team World Cup plays out, because I think... And there's going to be a lot of kickback against it, given how exciting this last 32 team World Cup was. Yeah, well, I guess it's made a little bit easier by the fact we've got three host nations. So there you go. So that helps a little bit. So we're we're down to 45. Yeah. Um, they're, they're going to qualify. Um, I don't like it at all. I don't. I'm I'm not excited about. It. I was talking earlier about trying to embrace change and like grow with the game. I don't think this is it. I mean, I don't know if they've 100% decided yet on the 
structure of the tournament, but there's been talks of like teams with uh, groups with three teams. Yeah, there's been so this this is just not set, right? There's been talk of I thought it was groups of three and the top two go through in each, which would make sense, yeah. and it would also mean that the games that teams play are the same. That, that you play the same amount of games basically as long as you qualify. Mm. Um, but then I saw some people saying it was still going to be groups of four and just like the eight best third place teams would go through, which they did the Euros for a while, and I really don't like. Yeah, it, exactly. Yeah, so yeah, I mean, option one is this is the the three team group, and then option two is twelve groups of four, um, and then they're considering basically two methods, which is you feed into one knockout bracket, or you have two halves of twenty four teams, and you have six groups of four. And then the halves come together for the final, something like that. It, it's it's all a bit ludicrous, and there's far too many teams involved here. Um, I don't know what's going to. I don't know how much this is going to water down the World Cup. This is this is obviously the big concern. Is like, what's the quality going to be like? And I saw um, there was a test draw that somebody did. Um, it's ESPN, I think, and they they listed out some groups like what it might look like, and you'd get like Group A: Canada, Wales, Algeria. Group B, France, South Korea, Nigeria. Group C, USA, Serbia, and the Democratic Republic of Congo. And then you get like, you know, England will get Group I, Colombia, and Jamaica. And like, it's not the end. It's not terrible. Like, it's not that far off what you end up with anyway. Um, and the day, like, you've still got to have the best teams get towards the end of the tournament. I don't know. I just feel it might be unnecessary. Is it about money? What's it about here? I, I don't know. Well, you know, know the we talk to this. the top, right? And and so I I also am a bit I'm, I'm a bit wary of the format. I, I am, but I do do like the fact that it's spreading it further. You know, Europe are only picking up three extra nations. It's going from thirteen to sixteen. We're seeing the fact that there's you know we've seen five African nations at this World Cup, and I think each of them have brought something different to the table. That's going up to, to nine and a half, maybe ten. Obviously, the halves are, are weird. You have to play through different things, but you know I think that increase is massive. You know they're getting basically like a. 85% increase in their teams. Uh, we're seeing something similar in CONCACAF, 90% increase going from 3.5 to 6.5. Um, we're getting increases. Uh, the OFC gets a guaranteed spot, which is which is really cool and you know helps to expand football in, in, in nations which maybe have, have struggled to qualify at times because of the way that the qualification campaign works. Like I've said for a long time, um, although I'm sure there'll be plenty from, from Commonwealth who disagree with me, that the African way of qualifying or, or the CF qualifiers are the maddest thing in football. The fact that it's just 10 groups and the winners just play each other in an unseeded draw. It is mm. absolutely nuts like yeah. to, to, to be looking at that. And so I, I think that increasing those numbers for, for CAF, for CONCACAF, for AFC it is a really, really important thing. And I, I like it a lot. Um, I'm just wary of the way that the format works. Yeah, I mean, on that basis, I mean, um, they're obviously talking about having penalty shootouts in the group stages um, because really of fears they don't do that. over collusion. Um, I'm just trying to find the best way to spell this out. So the report that I'm, I've just managed to get up quickly here, um, fears over the three-team groups include the possibility of collusion between two teams who would already know the final points total of the third team, mm -hmm. something which can't happen when the final round of games in four-team groups are played, played simultaneously. simultaneously. However, if FIFA go ahead 
with three team groups. They are considering the use of penalty shootouts toward a bonus point to participants so that that cannot happen. Yeah, I might. I mean, I hope they don't do that, but I, 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 do, <laughs> I do agree that, you know... And the, by the way, the penalties, they're talking about happening before the game. I did see this. Um, before the game? Well, it, it, this changed in... So it changed in 1986, right? Um, the, the fact that they had to play the game simultaneously at the end of the group stage. Uh, yeah. Because there was this game between West Germany and Austria in 1978, I think, um, where basically it was like, oh... If the two teams draw, if West Germany and Austria drew, then they went. Through, uh, it, it was fine, and they basically just knocked the ball aimlessly around for it, eighty minutes. The funniest thing, though, when you watch it, <laughs> it's it's absolutely it's incredible. So funny. If you if you can find it, watch it. It's genuinely unbelievable. Yes, it's eighty. So it's eighty two. They are just not going near each other, and then they're like accidentally kicking the ball off. They're like, it's pathetic, but it's so funny. I want to see that. I'd rather see that than penalties. <laughs> it's just like, oh right, cool, no worries. Um, so yeah, it was it was really really strange, um, but you know, it, it's gonna be it's gonna be interesting to see how whatever. They, they like it'll that. still be exciting. Like this is the thing. Like we thought, like if they're gonna change it, we've got to embrace it because it's gonna happen, and the game is gonna change, and people are gonna look to make it different, more exciting, whatever it might be. And you know, it makes sense that in America of all places, they're going to want to add for your average American, a bit more excitement. I think actually like from what I can grasp on social media and stuff and my friends that are in America, like a lot, a lot of people have been gripped by this world cup as a whole. I think this has really, really brought in new people to the sport. You wouldn't think it's possible at this stage, but it is, um, you know, it, it makes me laugh. I saw somebody describing like, okay, so you find soccer, boring because like a game might be 1-1 but then you're watching like NFL but that's more interesting so if if in football if we score a goal and it count we said well that's seven goals instead of one is that more exciting like that's basically what we're talking about like if you if you call um yeah you, you score. if you call us if you call a score you know the amount of points it is, right? Yeah, yeah. I completely agree. Although, I mean, that's gonna that's that's no, no matter. That's the case where you have lots of things in in different sports where goals or, or scores are worth different points. That's, that's but anyway, I think that mentality is changing, and I think that um, this World Cup is really, really significant for 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 the US because I think like the sport is just absolutely exploding at the moment. MLS is is taking off big time. Uh, we know how big the Champions League is over there now, and how many people watch that. Um, so this tournament, by the time we get there in three and a half years, is massive, is massive. And it, you think back to, I remember World Cup 94 very, very vaguely, but I was looking back now, uh, I've seen people being interviewed at the tournament. They don't, they literally don't know anything about the game or the sport or the players. And I think that'll be different. I hope it will. Yeah, I think it will too. I'm really looking forward to that World Cup being in the States. I think it's going to be an incredible thing. Obviously, it's in Mexico and Canada as well. I keep having to remind myself. Don't be disrespectful to those countries. No, no, not at all. They love football. I I think this is it. Like Mexico, obviously, has has hosted a World Cup before as well, um, very famously. And and I think Mexico is very much football country. Do you know what I mean? Mm. It's one of those where I'm like, it's great that Mexico are part of this because they are the maybe traditional footballing country in yeah. In, in CONCACAF but for, for Canada I think it's massive and we didn't talk about the Canadian team 
But I think that they've done a lot of good work. And we were talking about moments, right? And we were talking about those three US goals. But I think the performance that, that Canada dropped against Belgium and then that first goal against Croatia, where they went 1-0 up, you know, those are the moments that live with people. And I, I think that's incredible, you know, in, in that what it's doing and, and bringing, bringing people to the forefront, bringing football to the forefront in countries where it perhaps hasn't been the dominant sport for a long, long time. And I'm not going to sit here and pretend to you that I think it's going to become the dominant sport in Canada, but the growth of the game is massive. And it's something we've talked about throughout this podcast. And, mm. and I think we're going to see that further and further over the next couple of years. Um, and, and we're going to, we're going to start to see, you know, that growth continue on, on a really nice trajectory. So I think on yep. that positive note, TJ, we're going to call things a day. Um, yeah. So. Um, I've actually just got one more thing to say because I'm adding a new element to this podcast I've decided and it's called shout out of the week. Now, basically we want you guys to start giving us more ratings and reviews um, on Apple podcasts on Spotify, whatever you listen to this, basically we want you to start giving us new ratings. We don't really, we never really asked for this before, but it turns out we probably should have been because we'd have had more listeners and we'd have got in front of more eyes and had more people listening to this podcast. Um, so if you'd be kind enough to go and give us a rating and review, we would really, really appreciate it. And a lot of people from Patreon have started to do this in the last week. And basically every week I'm going to go on there and check the latest reviews and find a good one and give a shout out of the week to one of our listeners. So um, it's time for shout out of the week. This week's shout out of the week is Heisenberg's partner. Uh, he says he, he's called it the best football podcast. He's given us the five stars. And he says, here's a quick ranking of elite football podcasts. One, Ranks FC. Two, nothing. Three, nothing. Four, <laughs> End nothing. End of list. Five, yeah. <laughs> nothing. Any league, any player, even international tournaments, they are simply the best. A great mix match of personalities and great chemistry between them. Also, they are very active in their community, which I like a lot. And we like you, Heisenberg's partner, because you are the shout out of the week. Yeah, absolutely. Um, absolutely. Uh, my shout out of the week is I hope Sam Tyre gets better. Um, he's, he's, yeah, he's Sam Ill. hasn't been sacked, by the way. Um, people are going to start wondering if there's been some sort of feud in the camp. Um, nope. <laughs> Uh, no, we haven't. Sam. We haven't sacked Sam. He's just. He's no, just not Sam very well. The poor nervous. soul. So, um, he's recovering from a virus. Uh, so we're holding the fort in his place. Um, but all that's left for me to do is to say thank you very much, Mr. Dean Jones, for joining me today on our World Cup wrap up. Cheers, mate. It's been a real pleasure, DJ. Thank you to me. Um, I'm great. Um, thank you to everybody for listening. For Jack Collins, Name of Hearts, this has been Ranks FC. We will be back next week as domestic football returns uh, to look ahead to the transfer window and talk a little bit about the Boxing Day football, especially in the Premier League. Thank you so much for listening as ever, and we will see you next week. Take it easy, gang. Peace.